0: Ken Campbell The Seekers Podcast
1: Now day, one another day, more another day. What about Snell's bit day, long day, long alas one, I one belong every one something, but are up finish yet.
0: time Welcome to Ken Campbell, The Seeker's Podcast, hosted by me, Daisy Campbell, Ken's daughter, and David Bramwell.
1: When I was doing this mighty monologue for the National Theatre, I was commissioned to do this. It was actually to be called The History of Comedy. That's what they gave me the money for. But when you look into The History of Comedy, it's not very funny at all. So I made it easier for myself by calling it The History of Comedy Part One Ventriloquism. Well, while I was putting it together... And there was a thing that was occurring to me that I'd met this, this woman of such extraordinary talent. That was Nina Conti, the actress. I mean, I really thought she was, you know, one of the wonderful, weird things of life. But she was playing a life, to my mind, a, a wee bit safe. Do you know what I mean? And I was highly distressed that she'd signed on to go to the Royal Shakespeare Company. Do you know what I mean? Because she's like the female equivalent of Jim Carrey or something. I mean, you don't need her at the Royal Shakespeare Company. I mean, that's my opinion. Um, and so... As I, was, I made this history of comedy, part one ventriloquism, into a, a kind of grand tale, you see, uh, supposedly involving extraordinary people of my past. And I deliberately called this, um, this woman Nina in it. Nina Plashwit, yeah? And I made her way bolder, way wilder than myself. She was, as it were, the person of my past who was zooming past me and off into incredible adventures, you see? and also a ventriloquist, but so good that she could become a ventriloquist to the Eskimos, which she possibly didn't know, that they are the greatest ventriloquists the world's ever known, Eskimos. (laughs) And I hope that subtly the fact that I'd called this incredible Harry Nina would would kind of inspire her. But it it went way further than I'd imagined. Not only did it inspire her, it inspired her to become a ventriloquist.
0: (laughs) This is great. This is, I mean... Yeah, I was listening to this and thinking... Because I know we've talked before about the Plashwits, this Mm -hmm. kind of family that started to invade more and more of his one-man shows. And, you know, I think they are a composite family of various um, people that he met along the way. There's uh, Neville and... Is it Neville and Neil Plashwit, who he meets at school? And then their younger sister, Nina Plashwit. So we've obviously just met those guys in the first half. And... And they sort of, both of us agreed that sometimes the Plashwits became a bit annoying. They didn't completely ring true and what, you know, but I was listening to this again recently and thinking, no, but if you, if you imagine that what he's doing is he's, he's trying to paint a portrait of what his perfect woman would be like and what his perfect friends would be mm. like and just how exciting and extraordinary <laughs> they'd have to be to kind of fulfil that fantasy. Um, it kind of started to really make me laugh and and, and makes a lot of sense why... uh that women in his life could were never, never quite enough, or anyone in fact was <laughs> never quite enough. I, there's people that I know existed and great characters from his school days. I mean, Ian Alexis Will mm. was in the year above him, who went on to have you know this extraordinary life in the Ivory Coast with multiple wives and was a sort of psycho geographical magician and the Grateful Dead's drug dealer, and you know, this sort of extraordinary <laughs> the prophets. large prophets the prophet in, 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 in furtive Newest. yeah and so I often think of the, you know, of the Plaschwitz as being a sort of composite of Ian Will and mm. some other characters he knew from his from his young days and the Hill Library, of course. And then, you know, Nina being this kind of portrait of like, if only the perfect woman would be like this, you know. OK, so here we go. The history of comedy, part one ventriloquism, part two.
1: Some arse didn't record the start of act two. But we're at the bit where I'm, uh, I'm rehearsing for a ventriloquial dog funeral for the Gates family dog with Nina Plashwit. We're still both kids. Nina's just taught me her sausage routine. Uh, it wasn't incidentally um, that odd that she'd chosen sausages for me to remember. Because... Um, it was a wonderful little party routine that she developed as a uh, as a young kid. Was her, and I did it. I did that act. Uh, act when I was um, auditioning for the. It was just when the Stratford Memorial Theatre had become the Royal Shakespeare Company, just about then. I I auditioned, uh, and I put a lot of work into that audition as well, because I'd seen a lot of their shows, I've seen a few, and it seemed to me they were all right, but they they kind of creaked a bit. It was like, you know It's all right, kind of, when the chaps are talking to each other, yeah, yeah, Uh, it's all rough. And then there comes a point, they suddenly kind of turn out to you. And kind of talk to him and he well, who are you talking to? You know, are we oldie or, you know, are we us? I mean, it's been a bit odd? You know, like, and he was going to think, come on, you silly fucker, get on with it. And also, he said, well, how come, you're thinking, how come you can see us then? And he can't. You know, he can. <laughs> Like that. I mean, what's going on here? You can't think that some great genius meant it to be like that. <laughs> Clearly they got it wrong. And I thought, wow, what I must do is I must get this up for them. That's my, my job in life. And um, so, and I think so I thought what I'll do is I'll do um, that, um, that speech near the end of Macbeth. You know, this is that point at Macbeth, you know, where he's at the end of his tether now, because his old army mates have turned against him. They're dressed up as trees now, and they're coming <laughs> for him. <laughs> and he's kind of running through the labyrinths of his mind, you know, wondering if there's any purpose or meaning in life. And I thought, yeah, like the bald-headed rat, that's who he is. I saw him as, and this is how I did it. So I'm going to show you. So this is, I call this think I developed this mode of thinking, you see. So you've got to imagine that, you know, like, like uh, when he's so uh, you know, talking to the other chap, like, y- 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 jogging thing. And now this odd mode, you see, where he's going to think something you know, happens. <laughs> tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. <laughs>
2: What I'm doing here. I am looking at
1: you, but I'm, I'm not focusing at all. I, I'm looking backwards. Oh, no, no, Brad's <laughs> here. Okay. And so, like, like, you may find it a bit creepy. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, you may doubt your own existence. <laughs> we take heavy weights from <laughs> day to day. They weren't, they weren't even looking. <laughs> they, were, they were chatting there. And I mean, I mean, the thing was, I mean, I thought they could me the job of Macbeth. I was a young lad, you know. But I mean, I thought, you know, this is such a stunning technique. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought, you know, what would i kind get whizzed to the top. You know, uh, I, like Michel Sondeney, had would have to budge up his last classes. You know, <laughs> in like, a bit of yambic pentameter. Bouteers, you know, in order that I could teach the chaps things in. <laughs> and I looked up, I said, uh, did you bring a bit of modern? <laughs> I said, yeah. Now wrapping a fresh pack of uncooked Wall's pork sausages. I said, I have uh, here in my hand. A pack of sausages. <laughs> you now... Shuffling the sausages. (laughs) (laughs) Asking uh, Mr. Nunn, is it? (laughs) 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 Guy enough, please, to take a sausage. Any sausage, don't show me. Now, memorise that sausage. (laughs) i the lady here if she'd be kind enough to cut that. Right, there we go. Now, the gentleman there, could you give me any number between one and eight? Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I think you'll find, sir, this is your turn. they just said thank you (laughs) yeah anyway the show the show for Mrs Gates I mean it was brilliant I mean I need to tell you what I mean by brilliant in order to say this I mean we've got to use an expression which you don't hear very much now it's called real acting (laughs) real acting is a lot different from what you're used to seeing well, real acting is very different. Um, see so what, what you see. What you see now is really properly called portraiture uh, or portrayal. You see, I mean, let's go say you see uh, a lady's fine uh, performances, Cleopatra. Yeah? What actually are you going to say about it? Actually, well, you can say that um, she has a lovely speaking voice, effective. Charlie, good. A little lovely hand A wonderful hand on a yammy pentameters Um, A fine frock (laughs) It's not real acting what real acting is, real acting is if she invoked Cleopatra, is if she chuffed up Cleopatra. <laughs> right, And having chuffed her up, it's very likely that that ancient great lady won- won't want to speak that stuff. <laughs>
2: right.
1: Listen academics and fools That stuff on the page you care so much about That's only for duff nights That's what you have to say If you haven't managed to chuff something on <laughs> uh, I've seen real acting I saw it, I saw it on the television uh, Black and white TV When uh, Wilfred Lawson was in the lower decks. He'd certainly chuffed something up that. Night. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah.
1: And they let it run in those days. It lasted forty-five minutes longer than it was meant to. There was, um, there was an outbreak of real acting in Regent's Park in 1947. It was in uh, Robert Atkins' company, and Robert Atkins had hired. Uh, two guys from the Yiddish theater in the East End and they were into real acting he got uh, the young Marcel Nicos into real acting and uh, Maxie Axelrod uh, playing Tubal and Shylock respectively and one night they both chuffed up at the same time (laughs) and I mean that took most of the night (laughs) (laughs) uh,
2: Alan
1: Devlin the Irish actor Alan Devlin um, can can do real acting he did it (laughs) <laughs> with disastrous results once in The Pirates of Penzance.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the uh, late Victor Henry uh, was, uh, was uh, from time to time, a real actor. certainly uh, hit me back on a sober occasion uh, with a car. It's my, but he was um, and That's what I mean by real acting. That's what I mean by, and that's brilliant, I mean, it's it. Unfortunately, it was a um, young Hilton Cates. He was only seven or eight. He was kind of, you know, like, well, the was family dog? And um, it didn't help him through his grieving process. <laughs> it kind of sent him into reverse and back past the zero. And shortly after my performance, he had a fit. He'd never had one before. And he would done it. and um, suffered from... Pulling depressions, and he had to be um, he had to be taken out of school. And I decided, you now, I mean, I'm not going to try and be brilliant anymore. All <laughs> I mean, that, to the other, other things. I found it stuff I had a good time. on uh, that. Um, but um, I used to think about this uh, this little sausage trick of Nina's. You know, it kind of is. It's kind of the pinnacle, isn't it? It's kind of the supreme achievement of some area of show business which doesn't actually exist in our universe <laughs> it was, thinking about that over the years uh, prompted me to uh, have my own little app, my own little show There's a little bunch of us, we were called Ken Campbell's Road Shirt and at the heart of those shows the very core of it, was the sausage shuffling routine, we always used to, always used to include that And um, I, mean, I mean I had to think about a lot of other Things to make a whole night of it. <laughs> i like, like hammering a nail into your head, and, and, and uh, putting live ferrets down your trousers for world record lengths of time. That was a big hit. That one. It's kind of like putting your head in a lion's mouth, but that uh, you can transport on the bus. And, uh, speak of, uh, That was, and it was um, about that time that I heard that uh, Nina Blashwitch now aged. 20, had been done by the RSPCA for debauching dogs. And I thought, wow, with me and my ferrets. And I said, wow, we made a fine couple. And so I, 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 I dashed off a letter to her. You know, kind of out of the flu, this letter. I mean, I didn't put that in the letter. What I, what I did in the letter was I, I, thought, I thought she'd be interested in the ventriloquial abilities of ferrets, which I'd observed. And this is absolutely so. Ferrets are brilliant ventriloquists. And what they do, they have ferrets, I don't have how they're very greedy, very selfish, half blind animals. And if one ferret has got a bit of meat, what he'll do is he will make the noise of a ferret eating a bit of meat over there. <laughs>
2: it! And it Fool's <laughs> all. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I thought Nina
1: might like to um, come and see my ferrets. Anyway, actually, she did. She was pretty keen to. And she was, as like a wad, she was a lady now, a woman, and. Um, oh, gosh, she was smashing. And. Um, we, used, we used to enact key scenes and vignettes from Jack London's Call of the Wild. In bed, and she really was quite scary when she used to do the mutation from uh, domestic to ferrine. And um, I must say, she, she didn't. She came and saw my. She didn't really approve much of my road shows. Oh, she thought it was quite good. She said, but it's not brilliant, is it? She's not brilliant. She said, I think you should get back to ventriloquism. She said, it, it was brilliant that show we did in London. I said brilliant, I said "Man, being have been brilliant, but I said we, we completely damaged that kid, <laughs> she, said, it she said it doesn't matter, she said only being brilliant matters, I said it, <coughs> and uh, part of our, part of our um, affair was lipogrammatic <laughs> um, lipograms or lipography is this actually. What It's the Bosch word for speaking or writing under a constraint, i.e., for example, not using the letter E or something like that. And it used to go like this, you know, like uh, over breakfast we'd be talking wildly and widely, no doubt. But then there could come a moment, it would have been Nina who would introduce this, where she'd plunge her hand into the Scrabble letter bag and then whatever she came out with. <laughs> Right? You've got to use words that didn't contain that that day. Otherwise they'd be heavy forfeits. And it was our game that um, if, the, if the word pulled from the bag was E-I-L-V-U-O or Y, that you had to make some attempt to say I love you. Yeah? But, uh, using other words. And I remember when it was no O day, I said, I'd be besparked by thee. And she said, Might I be bespanxed by thee? (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't say no. (laughs) So, just passing this on, you know, so possibly lipography could have as much charge in it as pornography. (laughs) lovers who can smell. (laughs) 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 When. When our games got a bit much for me, she used to wrap my head in a in a tea towel or something and kind of kind of baby me like I was a baby. And if she was displeased with me, she would say, "What are you, a sock, doing in the underwear drawer?" (laughs) (laughs) How how many people uh, here tonight read Gertrude Stein at all? Down here. You do what, what have you read? i read excerpts from her work. you read excerpts from her work. Have you read How to Write by Gertrude Stein? I read. you tell the Stein
2: There's
1: a picture of uh, Gertrude Stein there, as painted Picasso. by Picasso, when she was a very young lady. Um, here in How to Write by Gertrude Stein, here's um, a section here, which is called Arthur a Grammar. It goes from page 36 to page 106. Um, wait, there's, 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 would you like to give me, a number, give me any number between 36 and 106? 107. I 107. <laughs> it's not enough to have read Stein at to low level. There's some gentleman here. I think he's he got a mathematical sort of Would <laughs> you be competent to give me a number between 36 and 106? 84, that's the kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> see <laughs> 84, 84, I'm getting right away from that end. Now, here, now okay, tell me to stop my finger anytime as so it goes down page 84 of Arthur a Grammar by Gertrude Stein. Stop. Stop. Josephine a Grammar. Joseph, a difference between their allowing 4 in 8 or 4 in 5. A grammar does not trouble theirs with the use of their placing it before a hanging, well-entitled riding-covering. <laughs> Josephine, grammar. That is if there has been a sufficiently long interval of absence, they remain indefinite in reappointing. <laughs> now, um, wherever you'd ask me to put my finger, that would have been different. I'm not sure how many of you would care. <laughs> <laughs> is that, that um, Lena Clashwit was not merely reading Arthur and grammar. she was learning the thing by heart and, 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 and with punctuation. Not that the punctuation, as you know, is difficult in Gertrude Stein. Gertrude Stein is a comma and full stops lady. She never uses a question mark, the usage of which she maintains leads to lewdness. <laughs> I said, I don't understand why you're late. I said, have you learned something worthwhile? Why have you learned the call of the wild? <laughs> Are you going to learn something? She said, Well, I may do. She said, It's not a mutually exclusive event. This. <laughs> <laughs> i must say this, see, this learning up of um, chunks of Gertrude Stein, vast chunks. Did she talking quite, quite so weirdly sometimes? Like the is 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 she says she said is is is. She said you can ask the question. Is is is. And here the comforting reply, is, is, is. You can ask the question, was, was, was. Yes, was, was, was. But you can't ask the question, will be, will be, will be. You've got to say, will, will be, be. You can only know will be will be will be if you're calling the cat in. I said said, tell me why are you learning this she said for clarity of mind I said I don't see how complete bollocks can get clarity of anything she said that is because you are a sock and have no business in here with us undies and she was gone she was gone but then she came back And there she was, and she was in front of a mirror now. She got a whole pile of astounding science fiction magazines and amazing tales. And she was attempting, quite successfully, to duplicate the front cover heroines. And wearing nothing save that overhang thing business that you have above curtains, a red one. nothing save that, and a formidable gun belt. She said what are you doing next week I said nothing she said then we'll go and visit the pygmies I said what pygmies she said the Patois tribe of pygmies in the Belgian Congo she said "Uh, we will learn from them the uh, dances of the gods we will then return and call ourselves children of Bizu tour the world as (laughs) gastro I said, I can't go to the Belgian Congo next week. I said, because um, in two and a half weeks, um, I'm, I'm contracted with ferrets to be appearing at the Royal Court Theatre upstairs. And I showed her the flyer Ken Campbell's roadshow. Um, Original, clever, important, Michael Coveney. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: and when I got this um, dubious card, this is handmade. It's the the letter to Harkhoof from King Peppy the My Majesty wishes to see this funny pygmy more than all the gems and treasures of the mine. But on the back, this: if there is a God. And if he's good or anyway halfway decent, he would only be able to perform any worthwhile wonders through those that they're open, and brilliant is best. The clever and the original do not get to frolic the finer parts of heaven. Them's reserved. The important fry forever in their own grease. she <laughs> comes. She'd really gone now to uh, uh, Australia, a tour of um, duty with with medical-type bikers. And then, and then she went up um, in Sydney, in the Sydney Infantilism Parlour, some kind of star attraction there, I understand. And there she earned sufficient money to get her to the South Pacific so she could visit Malakula and Borneo particularly, that I've so much about. And then to <coughs> the Arctic and uh, Labrador. 29 years now go by I mean we have to jump 29 years because there's no ventriloquism in the next 29 years what of that 29 years though well it was 29 years for me of a kind of madness really where I was trying to put on what I had to do with things that were important enough that she might hear about them all those miles away but so that she would instantly perceive, because they weren't important at all and not clever and not original but were brilliant you could see it if you like as like a treasured ball that I'd chosen to roll down a slope and into the river. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, while I was putting on these um, important, but not, not important at all things, um, I founded a thing. It was a science fiction theatre of Liverpool. And the uh, we did a big production here. And the opened the now. And it would have been nice, uh, wouldn't it, if um, Neville had come, but he didn't. And it would have been fantastic if Nina had have come, but she did. But I'll tell you who did come. And that was the mother, Mrs. Bash. saw said, because I bumped into her. And she said, oh, she said, I saw you... Your illuminations, dear. She said. Yes. <laughs> she said, She said. But I, I think you should get back to ventriloquism. She said. She said because that's where your kindred obsessives are. And um, anyway, I saw her again, and, and um, she told me a little bit piece about the bringing up of Nina and Neville. Like Neville, Neville when he was three, his father took him out. Um, around the garden and around the house and the game was going to be this so that they would invent a language with its grammar and um, everything and, they, and he enjoyed that and then it became a frequent game and it wasn't until he was six that Neville appreciated that he knew ancient Greek he knew German he knew one of the Arabics and I said to Mrs. Blashley I don't know why you sent your boys to school at all I said it was clear from day one they knew more than the masters she said yes she said but Ralph thought it was important that they knew the thinking of the enemy
2: laughter no, she, was, she was brought
1: up more by the mother in the realm of the senses, very much the sense of smell and taste and touch. Also, the sixth sense. She was encouraged to predict the weather without the aid of a ginger nut biscuit. She was uh, encouraged to say who was on the telephone before it was ever answered. But also, homing seed pigeons. They used to put um, a bag over her head and drive her off someplace in <laughs> the <laughs> Mrs Blashwitz said there is only one sin, dear there is only one and that is to take away someone's adventure she said, have you got any children, Kenneth? I said, yeah, I have I've got a little daughter now she said, well, you must Find out what her adventure is. She said it should be apparent from very young. And then your job is to encourage her in her adventure. And pang her off, she said, the first moment you can. Pang her off. That's all parents ought to be. is their Their child's catapult elastic. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, just to be, uh, her hope was, you know, that Nina working for the uh, rehabilitation of uh, gas and glue sniffing Eskimos. She said, well, you see, the thing is the, um, the Eskimo adventure has gone. It's been taken away from them. So if you um, if you give them money, they drink. If you don't give them money, they sniff stuff. petrol, glue. Her hope was, I think, that um, Nina working for the rehabilitation of Eskimos was, um, was kind of a front, you know. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's some kind of freedom fighter, I suppose you'd say. I mean, he's an archaeological-anthropological espionage, <laughs> mm. She was telling me this, that gangsters, she said, gangsters now maraud the Arctic. She said, take Labrador. with its nickel lump and its oil and the coming big money from hydroelectric, she said, and a big desire for none of these riches to fall into indigenous hands. And on another tap she said this. She said, listen, dear. She said, it is true that on occasion the presence of a loved one can be an inspiration, but even more so can the absence she said, what do you got to do, Kenneth? You've got to get on now with your adventure, the big one. One so enormous, it could only be done with Nina's absence. And she pulled out the gins now. And she said, Nina's absence, Kenneth, now, your muse. <clears throat> what terrific words, huh? But what do you do? well this kind of happened I found myself I mean my old oh, people I used to do little things with they, they are either dead, mad or millionaires by now because <laughs> and, uh, and so I found myself on my own uh, up here so this has gone on now 10 years more I think I've been up in, in front of you and let me say this I would not be anywhere else this is the very best it gets right don't think please at all that I go home and it's kind of better.
2: This is, yeah, and I couldn't possibly do it if Nina was here. I
1: mean, I be on my own with someone, could I? And um, that's kind of how it happened. But uh, let, me, let me show you this first. Came, came, came the thing, it was for the millennium I decided to do I um, for the millennium I should do something rather marvellous and I was kind of thinking globally and I was thinking come along world, you're pathetic aren't you surely by now with all your aeroplanes and everything you should have come up with a world language and I guess well being such a lazy load of buggers, what you need is a language that's only t- going to take you an afternoon to learn, you know and that could be your world language, well as it happens I know that language I used to speak it at school and it's called Melanesian pigeon. I mean if you wanted to be Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea you'd have to know it a bit more than it would take an afternoon to learn I gram, but you could be up and running in an afternoon you've going to learn 30, 40 words you know you've got no grammar to hold you back and so I started launching this idea and the world language in, uh, in that language the world language in my proposed world language would be called Wolwantok world, one language, world, one talk Wolwantok a yeah, in mannequin and mo. It did rather well and I translated uh, Macbeth, the whole of Macbeth. <laughs> Macbeth, Macbeth and I uh, <laughs> um, um, was quite intuitive. He let us a couple of shows here and Peter Hall heard about it. We did a dozen shows in the West End. And uh, I won an award for the idea from the Institute of Social Invention. Communications category, you get a certificate. And um, <laughs> But that's when the invitation came! Right, um, to go to Kentucky to address the um, the meeting of the radical Vegs, some kind of smaller meeting, not the whole. Not the whole meeting of the radical vets on my notion of well, um, Wamtoc as a world language, <laughs> and the invitation came from my old friend. Neville Plashwit. Because what had happened to him was this. After his psychiatry and psychological studies, he was for a time at Frey and Barnet. Well, and and at where, one of his patients was, it was Hilton Gates. <laughs> <laughs> Hilton Gates, the little, the little kid in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it was after that friend Barnett that Neville came up with a whole new form of therapy <laughs> or a, a, a whole new one he, he it was so fantastic it must be very old indeed anyway he called it ventriloquil therapy and he knew you know, it was going to be fake, so he went off to the States with the idea. Anyway, so he's really me up to see see if I give a lecture to the radical fence in Kentucky. I said, hmm, so that's quite. I said, are you going to be doing anything at it? He said, yes. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to be giving a lecture on Montanism. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm sure, I'm going. Yes, yes. I said, he goes there regularly, he goes to that thing regularly, of course. Never <laughs> yeah, I went and he just came on a Friday, I went for the whole week. And uh, the first fellow I met was a fellow called Clinton Detweiler. Lovely old guy who runs the Mayer Studios. When you're getting into your, your ventriloquism now, you'll want to, to remember this, Mayer Studios. If you invested in a programme, you'll see there's an ad in there. Uh, for It's a very good course, and that comes from the Mayer Studios. They sell more ventriloquial stuff of good quality than anywhere else in the world. Anyway, Clinton Detweiler has told me that 60% of his sales now are not to entertainment ventriloquists. But to vocational ventriloquists for example, ministry ventriloquism, and he's got a lot of very exciting lines like this I bought from him: clowning for Christ, <laughs> <laughs> fifty nifty ideas for teaching Bible verses with puppets. Comes with a warning. Are there any verses puppets should not teach? There are no, there are no, 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 no verses puppets. Um, Should not teach. However, when a puppet is teaching a verse that implies a personal relationship with God, a puppet should be very careful not to apply such a verse to himself. (laughs) Puppets that teach verses do not have a personal relationship with God. But but they are never sad about this. (laughs) Modeling with gospel application. <laughs> 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 anyway, never, never, never. I on a Friday. I was thing, and there was uh, I, there's loads of people doing some virtual therapy. I mean, there's all kinds of areas. You gets a lot of court money, you know, because all those kids going in and shooting all their mates up and everything. And if you get could grab hold of it on those little buggers, they're inclined to clam up. But with his ventilator therapy and a good lot of court money over the weeks, you know, he can sometimes (laughs) (laughs) winkle in That's one of the uses. There's all kind of people that have done uh, his ventriloquil therapy with him. Um, uh, Princess Diana, being one, and uh, he he got to know her a bit, and um, it was at the time when she was um, very bothered um, about landmines, which, if you recall, was at the same time that we were slaughtering all those cows on the off chance that they had... um, Mad cow disease, and Neville said, "Why don't you Why don't organise to sh- stop slaughtering them? To ship them off to Canada?" Camp- <laughs> 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 sadly, there was that, uh, that uh, rock tragedy, which resulted in the, in, the, in, the, in the unnecessary or purposeless slaughter of a lot of cattle. And also, uh, <laughs> Oh, was that Richard Branson, you know, because he, he, he went into a little depression uh, when, when his balloons kept popping.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was on a Saturday that I had to give my, uh, er, well, up thing to the Radical Vents. And, uh, <laughs> and in the morning, in the morning, I decided to, that was when I would go to Venthaven, you know, and see, I, I think, so, oh, my God, it is wonderful. William Shakespeare burgers, achievement and legacy to us all. And the form is, when, if you're anything of a ventriloquist when you go to Bent Haven, you, you, you should take your knee pal along. Especially the first time. He's kind of reckoning you know, that the knee pal will, will kind of show you around, you know, when you're walking over there. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's all, right? like, Frank Stick, by now, I was calling this guy. And um, Frank Stevens uh, spotted these. He wouldn't have seen them first of all, but they're, they're known as the shipwreck dummies, no? though. There was a catastrophic um, shipwreck in 1906 off the Gulf of Mexico. No one survived except these four little guys <laughs> <laughs> who'd uh, been owned by a Chris, called Wilby Woods. And um, part of the pattern in the Wilby Woods routine was where Mary Lou, is. one, two, third, third, one, along. when Mary Lou. She'd say this like boys will be boys. She'd say of uh, Wilby Woods, will be, will (laughs) be, will be. Now got my head on stick. Then there was the head, the the Sammy head, the eerie Sammy Lydia drinks head. We were looking at that while we were looking at that. We suddenly got addressed by a dog. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the form of Kentucky, this too, is that, when you are out and about, is that, first of all, the knee pals have a little chat, you know, and, and, and uh, if, if they get on, then, you know, probably, meant possibly, their owners might. You know? And anyway, it, it turns out the owner, the owner of the dog, that was a fella called uh, Rust. The first thing he talked to hey, said was, are you saved? Um... Well, <laughs> The the, the owner of the the dog Was a fella called Rusty Rusty Gates Rusty Gates Rusty Gates In fact Hilton Gates Now kind of American You know you've been a real American And and, uh, Rusty Gates just willing to tell me He said How grateful he was For the little show that I'd done In his parents garden All those years ago I said, oh, I said, thank you. I said, um, I, I, I was under the impression that you'd found it a touch moving. <laughs> he said, a touch moving. He said, um, well, he said, as a matter of fact, he said, I didn't balance for 20 years. <laughs> But he put it his way, he said, this in Can. He said, he said I um I I was able to work through the shit of three lifetimes, you know. And he said, and without that experience, he said I'd never have met Neville. And he was, telling was like, what Rusty's doing now. Rusty is part of the whole vetrilocleal therapy movement. And it was going to be him who's going to be MCing at the radical vet that afternoon. Very much looking forward to um my presentation he said and he said uh, he, was t- he told me a little bit about ventriloquial therapy I mean, there's all kinds of ways it works but for example this uh walter lambert lydia dreams uh, that was um that was a form of ventriloquial therapy now so the um that mouth you see and um, the human teeth in there are Walter Lambert's mother's (laughs) teeth. See, this is bereavement therapy. You know when a loved one goes? When a loved one's gone, you know, you go, oh God, I should have said this, I should have done that. Those are his mother's teeth. And so when he plays Nurse Lydia Dreams, you know, caring for that, he's looking down at his mother's, he is mothering his own mother. Anyway, it was a hell of an afternoon now with the radical thing. So we're in this little room, there's about 25, folk, the radical vents. And um, Neville uh, says uh, that he, like, he wanted to urge the um, addition of a few names to the um, roll of honour, to the hall of fame of gastromantical, the gastromantical ventriloquial arts, uh, particularly that of Montanus of Phrygia. He said... Um, <laughs> He said, "You start getting uh, data towards uh, understanding, getting a handle on Montanus of Phrygia, in the New Testament, in the Acts of the Apostles, and it's shortly after the crucifixion, and the uh, fact it was the Pentecost, Pentecost, which is the Jewish harvest <laughs> festival, and the apostles were in rented accommodation in Jerusalem, and then they say tongues of fire." Came licking into the house. What? Like that. Uh, There's a line missing here where the tape was turned over. And themselves hunting for the lost (laughs) (laughs) fowl. And like what happened. You know, when you start that going. You kind of can't stop, you know? And they wound up making so much racket that half Jerusalem was born, that was drawn to round the house, including 15 different sorts of foreign people who were in Jerusalem, were drawn to lurk. And some of the, these foreign people thought they were hearing little bits and pieces of their own language in all this noise and racket. But the locals said, no, no, they're drunk. And hearing that, that was when Peter got himself together. He said, no, no. He said, "Uh, we're not not drunk. He said, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. He said, no, no. He said, what what this is, is is the new baptism. He said, all that water thing that we were doing. He said, now, this is the new baptism. Because what this is, what's coming up and out of us, is the voices of angels. This is the language, the language of angels. <laughs> and so this antic then got dignified with the term um, the gift of tongues. <laughs> or glossolalia and then all the everyone who joined now that new church right back then i mean they got to show they got to show uh, some ability in the tongues department now they showed you were in now there was a geezer who wasn't in indeed he thought it was dangerous bollocks and he wasn't <laughs> shy about saying so or slinging the odd brick and his name was was Saul. but then he had a sudden visionary revision on the whole thing and he became their number one tugster now we want to jump to Corinthians 1, chapter 14. This is where the, uh, the, good, the good people of the uh, Church of Corinthians, many years later, have written to Paul like, with some worries they got. And that is that they hear that Paul is no longer so keen on the glossolalia. The glossolalia, says Paul. Well, listen, first of all, he said first of all know this That I am the main man of it He said nobody has put in as much tongue time as me <laughs> However it seems to Paul now That a lot of the glossolalia has become recreational <laughs> And Paul is not sure actually how much use it is to the church now nah. He said look if people have got to do it If they have to do it I suppose all right you know, But only one at a time Two, three at most He said, um, he said unless you could interpret it Unless you could put it into your own language what, that, what the angels are saying. Well, that would be something. Otherwise, prophecy is much better. Unless you could interpret it. Yeah. And the, uh, good, the good chaps of Corinth want to know um, about women. Women, said Paul, no, no. He said, Women, <laughs> women mustn't do it at all. No, no. In fact, women, he said, mustn't speak in churches at all. He said, It's foul. A thing of disgustment when women chat in churches. He said, if Women have got a query. Don't ask their own husbands at home. That was the church's stance on that matter until 155 AD when in the little village of Ordebo, Phrygia, Phrygia, kind of what we call now Turkey, the incredible Montanus launches his routine. Montanus, a gastromancer, an mythicist, a recent convert from the fertility cult of Sibel. <laughs> and he has with him two priestesses, Prisca. And Maximilla. Oh, man, and these are tungsters like ne'er before. And they can interpret, as Paul requested, they can interpret for each other and for, for themselves. There is a whole angelic host here. You're seeing now, do you see, the birth of modern ventriloquism? Chuff up the heavenly host! Get <laughs> And this was like kind of Elvis and the Supremes, right? The Supremes, I mean, you see the moment, you're kind of seeing the birth there of the Conjurer's Pointing Lady. much more than that. And uh, Max Miller. Anyway, they, uh, they took the whole village by I and mean, the whole village became a montanistic um, tonguing throng and moved on to the next village. They took the next village and town cities Yale, all Phrygia. And this is direct stuff. Do you get me? This is direct stuff coming up and out, you know, from the angelic host, All kinds of stuff. Loads of stuff. Written down scrolls upon scrolls upon scrolls of it. And it went on for 22 years and then Montana said to the regular church, "Behold, I have converted your grim and spotty achievement into one joyous, exultant flock." And the church said, "Bollocks!" I
2: <laughs> <laughs> they
1: said, "They're joyous and exultant for wrong and ridiculous reasons. Their gospelicals are recreational." and your interpretations are but bogweed <laughs> and they excommunicated Prisca, Max Miller and Montanus but they, and they seized the scrolls of Montanic interpretation and they burned them but they couldn't wipe out Montanism the fire of Montanism shoot away, kept burning on, burning on around Africa, rising up in Carthage, still going strong in the 5th century, moving on now, we're still reading about it, in the 9th century, in the ninth century, there's the big come together, the big coming together of all the uh, great heretic movements, the, uh, the Montanists, aka the Catafricians, the Boogers, the Catars, the Essenes, the Aryans, different stuff, the followers of the fish and the winking eye. The Gnostics with a silent G, the G's with a silent Gnostic. <laughs> Dolly Parton! <laughs> Dolly Parton was in the audience of Radical Fence. Dolly Parton, or some woman who looked like Dolly Parton. And she looked <laughs> and she blew me a kiss. Dolly Parton! <laughs> in any case. anyway, no one was continuing. And he was talking about the, about a comedy of the times—not comedy routines then, but uh, ecstasy and hilarity ruttings Man, this is the kind of performing that can only be done in mead hall bathhouses, <laughs> where you can hose away vast quantities of orificular evacuating <laughs> Plush seating is the final nail in the coffin of real comedy. <laughs> But God had a word with the Pope, the Pope had a word with the generals. The sin of being happy for wrong and ridiculous reasons. You're not meant to be happy here. Heaven is for being happy in. And the last bonfires of that round of the Inquisition, 1256. Entertainers, audiences, venues, scripts, costumes, props, all was burned. And yet, out of the ashes, seeming to arise, self ignited. Montanism under other names, the Jansenist convulsionaries, the Camisards, a bunch of gastromancers from the Languedoc region of France. Slung out of France for chuffing up the dead and recreational glossolalia.
2: <laughs>
1: At whose London meetings, alchemist and and different stuff, Sir Isaac Newton frolicked with his Swiss boyfriend, Fatio de Duillier. <laughs> the early Quakers, the shakers, the jerkers, the twitchers. Us in the Hainock Forest Sea Scout hut, but more important, the American Pentecostals. <clears throat> See also the charismatics, the Toronto Blessing. The Church of Elvis, the Holy Ghosters. But the Pentecostals. United States, Kicker 1900. Let's hear it for the Pentecostals, says Neville. The Pentecostals, who give work to the vent. The Pentecostals. The Pentecostals are rampant montanism. 15 million of them. And growing. This is 15 million. Going through the wall. On a weekly basis, nightly, some of them. What Neville does, after a successful um, ventriloquial cure, he will steer the patient into the vital, recuperative, through-the-wall programme offered by the Pentecostal Church. (laughs) Fellow radical vent, says Neville, I would like to urge the addition of these three names. That of Prisca, that of Maximilla, and of course that of himself, Montanus of Brigia. Thank you whooping, cheers There were and uh, Dolly Parton hands up some artwork that she's done uh, this of uh, Montanus in period jockstrap and feathers and uh, Max Mellor like science, fantasy, Herods, the three of them tugging deliciously with the wild chuffing up the wild uh, characters of Hieronymus Bosch including the... Rat, the bald-headed rat who knows that he knows that he knows. And there was Neville, strutting humbly. And I wonder what his knob looked like now, in all those
2: years of discipline. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Lovely Dolly Parton. <laughs> anyway. Um, and yeah, it was my go. I had to give my pitch for uh, well when talking went down. Yeah, that was quite good actually. I'll tell you what too I'll tell you what helps me along. You know, I mean, don't feel awful about it if you're normal. It's quite alright. Uh, I always sort of kind of with the periphery of my eye when I'm talking to folk. I look out for someone extraordinary, somebody who's kind of got more of a vibration than is usual. Do you know what I mean? And I kind of empirically feed their energy into myself. That's what I do. You know, and I tell you who was feeding up through the periphery on that occasion, and that was. Dolly palm. Oh. <laughs> anyway, and He was chuckling. Hey, And and uh, Rusty Gates had said, "Oh, that was very inspiring, Kenneth." He said, uh, "We must um, all learn learn that." I think. Uh, and um, he said, uh, "He said, uh, he, said uh, he said many years ago. He said it was many years ago. He said um, Kenneth did a little show for my family." In our garden, he said, and "It completely changed my life." He said, "Kenneth, he said, um, I wonder if you could remember any of that for us now." And I said, "No." no, well, no, no. <laughs> <coughs> uh, and then I saw Dolly Carton was coming for me. And she's got this great, great bundle, and uh, she pulled it out and she. Uh, put it on put it on my hand and then she said head back Kenneth
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> she gave <came with> this <laughs> this is your sausage <laughs> and I said Nina she said of course And then we went upstairs and Nina showed us her, oh, it's just wonderful, her Gertrude Stein routine. Uh, a bit a Gertrude Stein she got. Apparently Eskimos love Gertrude Stein. Well, they would love him, and she did it. And I said, oh, I get it. I get Gertrude Stein now. What Gertrude Stein is, is Gertrude sticking her head through the wall, you know? Wow, yeah, and bringing it back, bring it back quick. <laughs> like what she's doing. I said, I'm going to really get into it. I'm going to get into it fully. I said, could you, I said, Nina, could you send me that speech you uh, using, now i start with that, you know, whatever it was, that routine you did, that's what I'd like, she said, yeah, sure, anyway, terrific, it was a always, and so when I got back home, well, I thought, fuck man, let's go now, I must get, I'm going to be William Shakespeare and Berger and everything, I'm back in, the, back in the in the, world now, and, um, and I, I had a couple of uh, puppies return, that's uh, Gertie, it does the, the impressions, um, they had puppies, and uh, I got shot of them, uh, and people returned a couple of them because they were unmanageable. And I, I thought, I'll hang on to them, I'll have like a pack. Because Nina really liked that when she came and stayed for a bit. You know, i got kind of a pack of dogs. And it was while I was walking around thinking about old times, I thought, here, yeah, instead of just walking the dogs round, and I was I can't know. And he thought, what we'll do, I'll do for it. It's, it's, I'll lay on a, a kind of production, you know, little vignettes of uh, Call of the Wild as we take the, the uh, dogs around. And then this fantastic parcel arrived uh, from Labrador. And it, I've got this, this is um, a gastromantic Eskimo shaman. Uh, (laughs) A hairdress, and also uh, one, one for (laughs) Frank. And she not only um she not only sent um, the Gertrude Stein script, but this uh this marvelous Gertrude Stein doll. And the rules is a rules.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he came and um, she came uh, with well, with a whole with whole changes of clothes. <laughs> um you know, so, it's mean, got all these and uh, oh yes that's right. <laughs> a nightdress and it came with the instructions, didn't it? That's right. And it's that every night what I have to do is I have to have to undress, I have to undress Gertrude, yeah. and, 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 um, <laughs> and and and, 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 and uh, put her in that nightdress, and, and, and I have to sleep with you, don't I? I have to sleep with her until it's picnic time. Yeah. When, it's, when she arrived, I took her out that night on the um, uh, Call of the Wild rehearsals, and... Um, she was just... I mean, it was, it was such a terrific idea. So, uh, She's to play the, um, the appalling woman of the Arctic, Mercedes, in Chapter 5. And it was kind of brilliant having I mean, Gertrude Steiner getting in the way of dogs and mushers coming out with nonsense. like, It's a, isn't, isn't, isn't. It's is <laughs> Stuff like that. And I got back, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I thought, well, this is an absolutely perfect time to, to ring up Labrador. Say so hey, thank you for... Um, Everything really, and um, I was kind of getting, getting things ready. I was kind of, kind of getting, getting the place um, nice. So I was going to kind of and kind, of, kind, of, kind of let these guys talk to her, you know, on, on, the, on the phone kind of thing. So, do you know what a great title for this show would be "Guys and Dolls." <laughs> <laughs> well, I was getting it all ready. I had the radio on <coughs> World Service and they had it was from our own correspondent and uh, they'd let our own correspondent chat um, into a Stasi interrogation centre well it's not used now and uh, the Stasi's being the um, East German uh, police and in this interrogation centre in the basement he'd seen all these jars racks upon racks of up them jars of home pickled mackerel and he said what's all this mackerel about? And they said, well, it's not mackerel, it's lint. And apparently, when you're interviewed by the Stasi, it's a drop trousers, skirts up, nicks down too. And you have to sit intimately on lint. And at the end of the interview, they take that lint smartly and they put it into sealed jars with a a name, our label on there. And it's for the Stasi dogs. So they can sniff you out if needs be. And I thought, wow, what a tip! What I'll do? <laughs> what I'll do is I'll stick a hanky uh, twixt me bumbo cheeks, and I, uh, <laughs> when I ring Nina, and then uh, stick it in a jar, and get me dogs up to tracking snuff by the time she gets here, because that's the kind of thing that would really impress us. I mean, it was one thing. I mean, like, I wanted this whole thing with Nina to be right, and the only way I could think that it would be right was if it was right over the top, and. Uh, <laughs> So I rang, I rang up. Um, I rang up the telephone number I got um, for her in Hopedale, uh, Labrador, and they said, "No, she's not in. No, she's not here. Um, she's, we think, in shes a Shitty." Glad they said that because if you see it written down, it looks like she's it a shit. She's a she, but just, she said no. She's um, she should be by now in name so I rang up Nain and Nain, Nain told me about this farcical <coughs> business they'd had with a polar bear a polar bear who'd got some keen on his fries <laughs> so that, uh, all Nain had, had to get their fry pans some on the go to lure polar bear buddy into a trap and in the big fire, several buildings had burned down including the rehabilitation centre half of that had burned up And sadly, the half with Nina in it. My dog Max joins me on the stage. it dying, stop it dying, it's a great old thing, the ventriloquism. if you want to, um, if you, want to you, could, um, you could come and see the Call of the Wild show, it's only for an audience of one, it always was, uh, what you do is you sit, you sit here and we mush you around and it could be dangerous, I mean, the dogs go fast, oh, so you may fall out, there's no insurance, there are loonies who lurk the marsh late at night, uh, it's after midnight is uh, um, when we do it. And uh, we'll be off. Um, well, I'm a bit busy till the spring now, but in the spring, my majesty wishes to see these uh, funny pygmies more than all the gems and treasures of the minelands. At a moment, I'll go anyway. But um, maybe some budding ventriloquists yeah, could come along as well, you know. They're still doing it. 4,500 years ago, Dances of the Gods is a chance to pick up on some of the really old humor. Anyway, that's my plan, and then off. But maybe you've knocked up enough money by then, Mark, and we'll be. But we'll be off to uh, Nate, I think, to see a bit of real acting, real acting from the, uh, from the knowledge hook players. And then if there's anything of an ensemble, maybe, maybe then we'll call ourselves the children of Beezo. And we'll tour the world as, as gastromancers. And listen, chaps, here's a message for you. If um, ever the Empress of Mars in a swirling crimson pelmet offers you the chance of a partnership in a gastromantical business. Don't, for God's sake, think you've got to be loyal to your ferrets. <laughs> Release the fancy strings. Oh, very moving. I no music.
0: Ken Campbell, The Seekers podcast was produced and presented by Daisy Campbell and David Bramwell with kind permission from the Ken Campbell estate. Music was by Hawking Jupiter. It was funded by Arts Council England.